This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. Hey guys, you know what I. Sometimes when I listen to the intro to the show, I wish that we could have this music playing in the background. Like sometimes I wish, just for fun, you know, you're at the grocery store or you're someplace and you turn a corner really aggressively and the song would start playing. (laughs) Okay, how silly is that? But don't you think that would be fun? You know, it's like your own... um, yeah, like your own soundtrack to your life or your own intro music. You just, you just mind your own business. And then you hear this song come on and then you just start bobbing your head because you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm doing something. <laughs> so anywho, we're going to talk today about uh, the government actually not being able to force you to video a gay wedding if you don't want to, if you're a videographer. Um, and also, we'll talk about Joe Walsh. He's thrown his hat into the ring for the presidency and, um, Awesome. You know, if he wants to do that, uh, do whatever you want. Um, do what you're going to do, whatever. Um, we actually have a successful report on the return to Mexico policy. Turns out it's working. We're going to talk about the leverage of dependency. And this is actually a, a huge lesson for us as Americans. Look, the Trump doctrine on foreign trade is that he plans to right the ship. Now, Writing the ship doesn't mean he completely corrects the trade imbalances that have developed over the the decades. It means he reorients the direction that the country is in for foreign trade, especially with our biggest trading partners. And then from there on out, they make changes to what they're doing. And so it's a give and a take and it's a response. It's a call and response, if you will. So we're going to talk about that. Chinese manufacturers have actually admitted that without the U.S. market, they can't they can't survive. Mm, isn't that delicious? And then lastly, um, and we might switch this up a little bit, depends, but we got a federal judge blocking an eight-week abortion law in Missouri. Now, let me tell you something. This is basically nullifying the will of the voters by, um, well, it's not legislative, it's judicial fiat, where you have activist judges coming in and doing things that they want to do because you know, judges, and they get to do it because uh, apparently they're far more important and they know more and they what they want is far more consequential than what voters have decided. So we'll talk about that. And I, I'm, I'm happy to see, again, Missouri in the news, we're leading, but we're also, it's a showcase in how far apart the judicial branch is from the Constitution. And I'm going to be honest with you, I hate it. I hate seeing this because it's proof that we as a people can't vote in legislators to do stuff and have them do it without lawyers and judges saying, you know what? No, you're not going to do that. And and I'm fine with lawyers and judges in their branch doing what they do in their branch. I'm not okay with them doing this. So we'll talk about that. Um, welcome to the show. Head over to patreon.com and support the program by becoming a monthly giving person. Five bucks a month, um, two bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, whatever you want to give. We're just using that money to fund the operations of the program, which are, um, you know, podcast hosting and some of the other things that we have to pay for on a monthly basis since we're running this show ourselves, independently syndicated. We love that. So patreon.com slash Stacey on the right. You can also follow me all over social media at Stacy on the right. And the website is the same thing, only add .com to the end. So um, it, welcome to all of the people who are watching in the live stream. I want to jump into this because it, I'm so let's just face it. I'm kind of annoyed. So the reason I'm annoyed is I, I started off by saying it was fine for Joe Walsh to run for the presidency. And it is. It's fine for anyone who wants to run to run. It's not that I'm upset with him for running. It's that I don't understand his his thought process, because he says, on the one hand, he's running because Donald Trump is a threat to our quote unquote democracy. But then Joe Walsh also says that uh, if he's not the nominee, he's not going to vote for the Democrat. So it's basically, it's him. He thinks he's the one who should be 
doing the job. And then the other thing is, I saw this in the industry magazine for radio professionals. They actually had this, uh, it's, it's a, it's a basically a news item about Joe Walsh. And they're talking about, you know, Salem said, look, um, you know, Salem is, um, basically dropping the distribution or the syndication of the Joe Walsh program. And the reason they're doing that is because he's running for the presidency. And I don't know if you know this or not, but if you run for office and you're a radio host, what they do is they they basically have to give equal time to all of your opponents or your opponent if you're in the general, or you basically step away from your radio show and you have a fill-in host on a permanent basis, or they farm your time out. Whatever the case is, you can't be on the radio every day because the radio industry is a part of like broadcasting. Now, I'm not talking about podcasts. So I'm kind of on a hybrid here because we're podcasting, live streaming, and we have terrestrial affiliates. So we're syndicated to radio as well. But I'm talking about for Joe Walsh, he's not a podcaster. He was a radio host. He was syndicated through Salem Radio and Media, uh, SRM, SRN, no, Salem Radio Network, SRN. And um, they're huge. They're the answer stations all over the country. You know, and I go on AM 1070, the answer down in Houston or, you know, number of different ones. If I'm on Armed American Radio, I'll be on here in St. Louis at, you know, um, 1380, the answer, St. Louis, et cetera. So, you know, these stations, if these are the stations that you hear, Dennis Prager and um, the fantastic Larry Elder and, you know, the inimitable Sebastian Gorka, um, you hear them on there. So what? Joe Walsh was doing is he had a nighttime program. Now, if you remember, do you guys remember Michael Medved? Michael Medved was nationally syndicated and extraordinarily popular. He was a centrist, I would say Republican, but really he just loved America, loves America. I don't think he's changed at all. And he lost his syndication um, or made a huge change, I should say, because um, he literally had just this aversion to Donald Trump and most conservative radio is pro Donald Trump. And what, what was happening is a lot of his listeners were getting really upset with the comments that he was making about the president. They felt like the criticism was unfair. And so Salem made the decision to kind of move him to nights. And that's when Sebastian Gorka kind of came in. It wasn't like an immediate switch. Sebastian Gorka went into radio after that. Cause there was basically, there was a vacuum left where Michael Medved was. And um, so in this current media atmosphere, I'm not saying you can't criticize the president. You guys know I do that. I'm I'm very fair to him and I do support him, but I do also criticize sometimes because it it's a, it's a tough job being the president. If if I never criticized him, wouldn't you guys wonder if I was actually watching because a job that hard means he's going to have times where he can't do what he wants to do. He can't do what he's promised, and I don't necessarily blame him for it, but it is the circumstance and so it is fair for me to criticize him. And I think it's the right thing to do, um, to be, to be honest, to be in, in, in the place where you need to be. So it's weird because there's a, a balance you can strike. Um, it, it, the fact is, if you want to be on radio nowadays and have a huge national platform and you want to be against the president, but you still want to be on the Republican side, you're narrowing your audience significantly and it makes it harder for your employer to find advertisers for you and to, to basically fund your program. And so I think that's where Walsh was. He'd, he'd had quite a few months of very never Trump type programming, which he actually had a listening audience for that, but it certainly wasn't significant in comparison to the larger pro-Trump, pro-America, pro-nationalist fervor, you know, pro-borders, pro-everything else that it that group dwarfs the never trumpers by orders of magnitude. So that's what happened. Um so I had someone tell me, um someone that I actually trust and, and respect a great deal was like, well, this is just him raising his profile because he ran for Congress and that's how he become famous became famous, but now he's a- against President Trump. And so he's trying to raise his profile by running for the presidency and it will it will help his radio career. Well that leads me to this news item that I found over at Fox News t- entitled Joe Walsh says he's lost radio show since launching the Trump challenge. Now, obviously, Salem can't have him on the radio in a syndicated capacity if he's running for the presidency. So it's not that he lost his show. It's that he decided to run for the presidency. Um, but he was on 
CNN talking about how he lost his program. Um, and he said that 80 to 90% of his audience actually supported President Trump. And he says, it's okay. I'm going to campaign full time. This is a difficult thing to do, but I believe it's urgent because the president is a danger. We cannot let him get elected for another four years. Well, it's talk like that that'll get him onto CNN. It'll get him onto MSNBC, but it won't get him the kind of poll numbers that will make him a viable candidate for president. And he's not even going to have even a close, like he, it's not even going to be close, you guys. There's also some statements that he's made that some people have said are racially incendiary. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll just say this, and I, I think this is something that people, you, honestly, for me and I know tons of, of black folks um, that I've talked to over the years, I would much rather have someone say the racially incendiary things that Joe Walsh has said, so I know that's how he feels, than for him to hide that and for me to be running around and thinking he's like a regular person when he's really not. <laughs> so... um People are castigating his comments, but I prefer honesty. I prefer it. So the things that he said that have been a little weirded out, I'm like, yeah, do what you're going to do. Um, say what you're going to say. Let me know how you really feel. And I'll just, you know, I'll operate from there. I'm not judging you. You have a right to your feelings. I'm just not going to have to worry about you because now I know where you stand. So um, so that's the story. He's he's saying he lost his radio show. It's really more a function of him running for the presidency. Uh, we'll see what happens, but he has no chance of beating Donald Trump in the primary as a never Trumper. It's just never going to happen. And I think it's interesting that he's choosing to go this route. Uh, who knows what the, the additional, uh, intentions are for the, for the whole thing. So let's get into this, uh, this story about this couple. So it's Carl and Angel Larson. They own the Minnesota based telescope media group. And in December of 2016, they filed suit against a state law that would force them to film same-sex wedding ceremonies in spite of their religious objections. Now, this is a really easy one to sum up. They're right. They should have sued. Um, the court opinion was authored by Circuit Judge David Strauss, and he said anti-discrimination laws, as critically important as they are, must yield to the Constitution. Now, the reason that this is important for people who support gay marriage is that they're not saying that anyone can discriminate based on the fact that someone is gay. It's the ceremony itself that is the issue here, whether or not the person wants to film the ceremony and whether or not their religious objections hold weight under the constitution. The constitution doesn't actually change. It's not a living, breathing document. It's not malleable and it doesn't find its uh, moorings within our feelings or our emotions or our current social experimentation. The Constitution is the Constitution. The founders made it to be a document that would stand the, st- stand the test of time, and it does. So I want to make sure that we have this quote included in what he's talking about. Circuit Judge David Strauss said, Indeed, if Minnesota were correct in forcing them to film these ceremonies, there would be no reason to have to stop with the Larsons. In theory, they could use the MHRA to require a Muslim tattoo artist to inscribe, my religion is the only true religion on the body of a Christian. Um, it could demand that an atheist musician perform in an evangelical church service. You see how this works? So the point that I want to make that we should all be making to people who are upset by this ruling is that the knife cuts both ways. If you believe that Christians should be forced to violate their religious beliefs, then you believe that Muslims should be forced to do that and that people who practice homosexuality should be forced to do that and that any person, no matter what they believe, they should automatically be forced to violate their beliefs because it makes one person or one couple or one group of people who have nothing to do but beat the angry drum and stomp their little stompy feet and you know complain that we need to conform to make those people feel good and to assuage their feelings as opposed to just saying grow up stompy foot and find somebody else to video your ceremony grow up and move on because you have other options to get this done now should we come to a place in america where uh carl and angel larson are the only two videographers left in the entire country and they have to video every single wedding in america that goes on from that point forward they're the only two people left who know how to use video equipment Uh, they're the only two left that own video equipment and they also own all the patents and they're unable to share that information because they want a monopoly a nationwide monopoly on video equipment then 
And only then would we have to address this issue. And it would be something that would defy the Constitution. But in a country of 320 million people, we need not worry about that ever. Therefore, the religious freedom. I'm digging it. All right, when we get back, we'll have more. Stay there. Booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom! Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go fish that! Oh, come on! (laughs) This is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. It's 4 a.m., Monday, and you're literally sucking baby snot through a tube because she's congested. Man, that's love. And if you love her that much, love her enough to make sure she's buckled in the right car seat. To make sure your child's in the right seat for their age and size, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey, Kevin, thinking about saving for retirement? Yeah, but how do I start? It's easy with Avvo, a retirement coach. Let's learn the Avvo bet. For taking action. Not anxiety? No, Kevin, you're gonna be fine. You sick? Barely. V is for variety. Huh. Change up my strategy. Okay. O is for optimize your savings. Let Avo lead the way. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash our stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food, because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Oh, welcome back. Hi. How are you? <laughs> okay. So have you noticed that there's ads over at StacyOnTheRight.com? Uh, this is the first time I've ever actually properly installed the ads program, which, you know, anybody can have it on their blog, like anybody can. Um, and so this is the first time I've ever done that. And so they're there. Also, I made some changes to the blog over the past couple of days, like what you can see when you go, when you scroll down in the blog posts, instead of them being all the way across, you now can see them. It's more like at a glance, a bunch of them you can see at the same time, I think 12 at a time. Um, so check it out. Let me know what you think. You can always comment there and I read all that stuff. Uh, yeah. And I do approve those as well because when I don't have them moderated, then leftists come on and leave all kinds of vulgar stuff on the blog for other people to be forced to read. So that's why I don't um, just let people comment and let it automatically go up there. So welcome back to the show. Uh, we're just moving through. We have a bunch of stuff that we're kind of sharing today. Um, and I want to move on to um, this story about 
the Mexico return to Mexico policy. It's a pretty interesting thing that's going on here. I, I'm I'm actually really happy to see it working because the president has been stymied by Congress and specifically he's not had not only not had support when the Republicans controlled everything, but the Senate was disturbing to me the way they were behaving as if they weren't sure what the Republican Party platform said about illegal immigration. So here when we're talking about the remain in Mexico policy, which is what we all call it, um, it's actually has its proper name is migrant protection protocols. And these people who are coming over who honestly, they have no chance of getting asylum here because they don't, they're not, they're not true asylum seekers. They want to come here to work and you know, I get it, but they're not asylum seekers under the rules that we currently have for people who want to come here because they're being persecuted. So thousands of them, are being returned to await asylum hearings in Mexico and it's actually working to reduce illegal immigration. So um, especially if you're from a non-contiguous country, so in order to be seeking asylum, you're going to the next available country, so that the country that's adjacent to you and it shares a border with you. So the countries that share a border with us are Mexico and Canada. So... If you're not from Mexico or Canada, you're not truly seeking asylum, are you? Um, now, you can be a refugee from one of the other places. We allow that. But the technical definition of refugee is also the same. You're going to the next available country, the adjacent country to your own, because you're actually planning on going back to your home country. You want to go back to it and rebuild it, put it back together. You want to recreate and improve upon the life you had before war or whatever struck. So... Under the migrant protection protocols, a part of the group that is currently vying for asylum here, um, they have to await the results of their immigration court hearings in Mexico rather than being detained or what has become to be known as catch and release, being released into the country never to be seen or heard of from again, going to work at our chicken processing plants and our meat processing plants. You, you see what I'm saying, don't you? They're not actually coming here, sitting around on pins and needles, worried about actually getting asylum. They're coming in, they're working, they're living, they're having a few anchor babies to make sure that no matter what, they're connected to this country and they'll just keep re-entering illegally because they know there's really nothing to prevent them from doing that. So the stated goal of the program, the policy, was to curb the swelling crisis at the southwest border and now we want to look at how effective it has been. So there's new data out that the Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse track. It's a nonpartisan organization. They actually keep data um, on all of this. They released their information. And according to them, nearly 12,000 people were returned to Mexico in July compared with only 5,000 in May and just 15 people at the start of the year. So this has been hugely beneficial to us as Americans. And I can't wait to see what they're able to do because uh, it should be 10 times that number of people who are being returned because that's the number that we're currently dealing with at the southern border. We're dealing with hundreds of thousands of people coming in. Um, so the total backlog for our immigration courts actually puts uh, the protocol, the migrant protection protocol percentage at 2.7%, but 22.3% of the new cases that were added to the docket in July. So you see that uptick from 2.7% to 22.3%. So that's the, the, the percentage of people who have de- basically decided, I'm not going to try to enter the country illegally. I'm not going to sneak in. I'm going to appear at the border. I'm going to turn myself in and I'm going to do this. I'm going to come in as a, as a migrant, as an asylee seeker. I'm, there's no reason for me to, you know, steal in. I can go in the way everybody else is going in and I have a much better chance of getting to stay. So new data supports the Department of Homeland Security claims that a substantial drop in monthly apprehensions in June and July is partially attributable to the implementation of MPP. Now, the protocols have been in place since January, but it took time for the implementation to get ramped up. That didn't happen until May. And then, of course, since then, it the protocols have been expanded to include Laredo and Brownsville ports of entry. And these are part of the reasoning that that behind the drop. I think it's, look, that's what we need. And the chart they have here is absolutely stunning. It looks like a mountain. You have in January, this, the, you know, what 
would be considered now at this point to be a pittance of people, um, like, like 25,000 or so. And these are apprehensions. By May, they have upwards of 140,000 apprehensions. And then you expand MPP. And now in July, we're down, you know, still 80,000, but, um, you know, roughly a 50% drop. So we need to keep going, obviously. Um, so it does not work by stopping individuals before they enter. They actually wait until they cross and then they return them. So it reduces immigration by deterring would-be crossers who may not attempt to enter because they know they're less likely to be able to stay. So it, it it's, again, enforcement is its own deterrent. People act as if we need new laws on guns. And I know this is a huge segue I just made there, but work with me here. Because uh, I was on Mark Cox this morning and... Uh, they had a, there's a big discussion going on. They're going to have the horrible squad members are going to be in St. Louis tonight to have a rally to try to get St. Louis city to pass some kind of law that basically says we don't have to wait for the Missouri state legislature or the feds to pass new gun laws. We can pass our own and we can circumvent the second amendment that way because 12 children have died by gunshot wounds since January. And that's a horrible statistic. It's a, amazingly difficult loss of life to have to take in all of the kids who've been killed except one whose picture they didn't show they're all black kids they're all small kids and they're all being shot because they're adjacent to some kind of drug infighting so obviously it's not law-abiding NRA members who are doing these shootings but the city of St. Louis leadership the aldermen are saying well you know what we want to do something to stop these shootings so we're going to advocate for getting these automatic guns off the street. Well, there aren't any automatic guns on the street and the guns that are being used in the city of St. Louis that are accidentally killing kids, you know, it's a crime. It's not really an accident. If you're shooting up the joint, then other people get killed. It's your fault. You, the shooter is is at fault. But they're saying that if they can get more AR-15s off the street, because AR-15s are automatic weapons, Yes, that's the kind of nincompoopery that's going on here in the city of St. Louis. People who don't know a gun from a side of potatoes are sitting up talking about AFR, AR-15s being uh, automatic weapons. That is what dude said on the radio today. Okay, so what they want to do is they want to have the squad come here, fire everybody up with a bunch of lies, and then they want to pass some bills that will ultimately get struck down, but, you know, pass some little legislative just just some old garbage, just whatever they can do to say they did something. Well, enforcement of our current gun laws would actually do more to deter crime than these stupid laws that they want to pass because it's already against the law to illegally own a firearm, to shoot at other people, to deal drugs, to shoot people because they're dealing drugs in the area that you plan to deal them in. Uh, it's illegal to purchase a firearm if you're a felon. It's illegal to purchase a firearm with the intention of using it to commit a felony or any any kind of crime at all. It's also illegal to purchase a firearm through a person who's not a licensed and federal federally licensed dealer. So someone who has gone through the background checks and is approved by the federal government to sell guns. So everything from the very beginning to the end of what's been happening in the city of St. Louis, it's all illegal already. So he said, we need to get these guns off the street. We need to confiscate them. Well, if they're able to do that, why haven't they already gotten the guns off the street in St. Louis that are being used to commit the current crimes? Why do they need to take lawfully owned guns away from people who are law abiding in order to get something done with the criminals? Well, I can tell you they don't. They don't need to do that. But they want something to say that they've got some solutions going on and they don't. They don't have any solutions. They've been in charge. These Democrats, that dude that was on the radio this morning, uh, He's been in city government working as an alderman or some kind of elected official for decades. He's not a young guy. This is not a millennial. So he's responsible for the carnage that you see there. Rather than him taking responsibility and trying something new, he's just going to keep on parroting the same old garbage. And you know what? Kids will keep dying until we address the cultural implications of regular people living near gang infested areas. Also, I was on with Mark and I was talking about how their budget's always busted and Mark corrected me because recently, and I missed the announcement, Lida Cruz and the mayor of St. Louis announced that there's actually a budget surplus. It just happens to be 
a budget surplus in the identical amount to the amount of money that the St. Louis City Police Department is currently missing in funding. So they want more money from the state government, which means taxpayers like myself who don't live in the city, to give them more money so that Lada Cruzan can hold on to $27 million and say they have a surplus. You see how that works? So is there really a surplus? No. Do they really need more funding for the police? No, they have the funding. She's just holding on to it so she can say that her budget is different than her predecessors. But it's not. She's still spending all the money on all the wrong things and not doing a good job because how can she if the policies that she's espousing are actually failed policies that will not work? So, yeah, the squad's coming to St. Louis. So I've been I've been on the fence all day. I'm thinking, should I open up some room in the schedule to trek on down there? And sit in the audience and listen to these women. I don't know. I don't know. I'm still thinking about it. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm going to go. Mainly because the b- amount of brain cells that they'll burn with me sitting there listening to them. I mean, I'm, I think I'm doing okay. But I don't know if I want to subject myself to that. I, I, but I could go and I could at least like, there could be a little bit of, I don't know. I'm still thinking about it. So how does that connect up with the asylum and remain in Mexico policy that I was talking about? Well, we are seeing here the clear implication from these charts and graphs and data that were issued is that when people hear that their illegal activity will no longer be tolerated, fewer of them decide to try it. Same thing with guns. If we prosecuted straw purchasers, if we threw people who were convicted of gun crimes in the city of St. Louis in prison for years and years and years, if we actually utilized every part of our justice system to the fullest of our ability, then we would not have repeat offenders, people who've literally shot folks. They go to jail for a little while, come out, and they shoot more folks. They go to jail, they come out, they shoot more folks. They're on a, basically, it's a merry-go-round where they end up shooting people. If they don't kill anybody, they're in for a little while, they come back out. If you use guns in to, to commit crimes, you should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And I know there's like, well, they, we need three strikes. How, how many people have to get shot before you think the person needs to go away? How much more carnage do they have to commit before you go ahead and, and agree that that person is a criminal and needs to be put away for a long time? So I think it's, it's uh, you know, if, if in the big scheme of things, I know there are people who can be rehabilitated, but there's a, there's, there's just a revolving door, merry-go-round type atmosphere when it comes to people who have committed gun crimes, just getting to do it over and over again in the city of St. Louis. Um, so I wanted to give you guys a couple, there's actually some really smart alecky, awesome comments over here. Namely, Chuck said, God bless their little donkey hearts. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to say, <laughs> um, yeah, God bless their little old donkey hearts. What, what, uh, really, guys? The answer to all this carnage, little kids getting gunned down, little children, is that we need to uh, take guns away from people who live in the suburbs? Because the, the criminals are not going to let their guns go, y'all. We know this. We know they're not going to let their guns go. We know that they're not interested in letting their guns go. And honestly, why should they be? Why should they be? Um, so I want to say hey to everybody who's in the chat room over at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Born, Cacti Forever, Chow, Gray Eagle, Smoke, and Mimi, and S. Sting, and Tracy. Thank you guys for doing that. Um, everybody who comes over to the chat room at StaceyOnTheRight.com, what you're doing is you're helping me with my traffic. You're helping with the the higher the traffic numbers, the more popular the the blog is. That helps us, and it also you know we the blog. I got I got I got to keep that thing updated. So you guys are awesome to be over there. Um, thank you so much, and um, of course Colonel Lennox, which is the engineer of the show. It's Noah. <laughs> so thanks so much for being there, guys. Um, so I I again. Enforcement actually deters crime. This is not a new concept. I didn't make it up. And anybody who doesn't think that it's true should really go and read some of the documents um, and and books and data and charts and graphs and even more research that has been 
meticulously and painstakingly compiled that show that this is literally something that is accepted information. No one's arguing with it. Enforcement deters crime. We need to enforce all the laws on the books, whether it's guns or immigration or what have you. It's just the right thing to do. All right. We get back on the last segment of the show. Stay right there. Some knowledge belongs to us and us alone. The way our girlfriends walk, talk, touch their hair. Details that only a sister can know about her girls. But what about our other girls? The ones we carry with us every day. Our bond with our sister girls gives life. But knowing your breasts can save it. Go to knowyourgirls.org for the facts you need on breast health. Brought to you by Susan G. Coleman and the Ad Council. Listen, as a hiring manager, I've got to tell you, the best job candidate isn't always the typical candidate. Sometimes they're a grad of life. Meet the grads of life, young adults of unique determination and experience, an ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Sometimes the best candidates aren't the ones you're used to. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. <laughs> Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. So take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me. But I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Okay, man, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. Cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. you got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Show the world that you're tougher than tough. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right. Hey, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today. You can find out more at stacyontheright.com. Um, podcast numbers are doing great, y'all. I, I just want to point that out. Um, that is something that we have been really, I've been praying about it and then we've been working on it, obviously. And even with all of that, you just don't know what is going to happen. You don't know what the numbers are going to be until you see them every day when I see how many people have downloaded or how many people, um, have visited and what particular episodes. So that has been really interesting to see. Suffice it to say, we are above where we were last month, already this month. So that is good. Um, I, I was worried that maybe the launch month we would have just an outstanding performance and then the next month we would go downwards, but God is greater. We've actually increased the number of people who've downloaded the podcast by a good amount this month. So um, yeah, thank you so much. And I'm actually going to do a little video with details on that, but it's going to be only for the Patreon uh, supporters over there. They'll get to watch that video and we'll share more details as we're able to, but Suffice it to say, 
God is so good to us on the podcast. We're so glad that it's actually growing and getting more, uh, more listeners, more, more people who are enjoying it. So I talked a little bit about the leverage of dependency and I mentioned, um, this issue with, um, our trade with China. So there was an article in the South China Morning Post talking about how Chinese companies are actually really, they're in everything. So if, if you think you're going to the store and you're buying stuff and you can avoid products made in China, you just can't do it. You can't do it, babe. You gotta, you gotta know that you're buying stuff. Like, for instance, did you know that they're producing our canned Mandarin oranges, our mid to high tier furniture? Symbol in China. Um, so what is the problem then? If you're, if they're doing all that business, what, what could be the issue? You're probably thinking to yourself, wow, they're, they're making all of our products and they're shipping them over here. What's the problem? Well, the additional 5% tariff that the president has announced, he's taken them from 25% to 30%. And they have just nowhere they can go with this thing. The, so this is decades ago. The business model was set up that the majority of the manufacturing that's going on in China is for the U.S. market. We may have only roughly 4% of the population of the entire world, but we consume an outsized percentage of the goods. We also create a lot of the, the ideas, the goods for that the, the, the goods are based on. We create those. We think them up. We're like, oh, you know what I need? You know, I need a stand. I, I need this little pop thing on the back of the cell phone so I can hold it better. Because, you know, you like the big phone, but you don't want it falling and hitting you in the face when you're surfing the web at night and you don't want it falling out of your hand when you're walking. And so, you know, you got to create these little things. So a lot of the stuff that we know and use, it's created here. The idea comes from here, but it's manufactured overseas because it makes it cheaper. So instead of just having one of these and when it tears up, you can't afford to get another one. You can afford to buy a pack of three and a backup pack of three. And everybody in your house has one of these things in the back of their phone. So um, Chinese companies are actually praying that their communist government will keep devaluing their currency because U.S. purchasers, including wholesalers and intermediaries, have told those manufacturers that they're not paying the tariffs. So remember how the Democrats and everybody who hates Donald Trump said, Americans will pay the tariffs. Actually, we're not paying the tariffs. because. And let me just ask you this anecdotally. Let's say that, I don't know, a year ago, you bought a sofa for your family room. And this is just a hypothetical, but let's just say you bought a sofa for your family room. Um, and then let's say you sold your house and the buyer wanted that sofa to go along with the house. And so you let the sofa go with the house because they made you a full price offer and you were just happy you didn't have to move that thing because it was a big U-shaped sofa, whatever. So you get to your new place and you're like, I want to buy a sofa similar to the one I had last year. Well, if that sofa is 30% more than it was last year, are you going to buy it or are you going to shop around and find one that's closer in price to the one you had last year. Looks pretty much the same. As you know, that that's the joy of the American purchasing market. Anything you find at one store, you can find something similar to it at another store for a different price. Now, is it the same quality? Is it identical? Sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. It's up to you what you want to sacrifice quality for price, what, what have you. But Am I right when I say that you are not forced, you're not held by the throat to purchase the sofa that you want for 30% more just because that one is made in China and this one over here is manufactured in uh, High Point, North Carolina? Oh yeah, y'all, I know about the furniture market. I know about it. Or Tupelo's furniture market. What? I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I know all about that stuff. I'm big into that kind of stuff in my spare time, y'all. <laughs> so, so, so we're not paying for the tariffs. We ain't paying for no tariffs. They're paying for it. And here's the proof, because you know you don't have to take my word for it. Uh, U.S. corporate buyers are leveraging the pressure applied by President Trump, and it is being called a remarkable dynamic. Here's the story. He says, the U.S. client called us last weekend and asked us to pay the additional tariff of 5%. So remember, the tariff of 25% has already been applied. Now Donald Trump is like, you ain't feeling it. You ain't feeling enough you're going to have 5% more. Let me give you 5% more because you need to understand that we're the market you want. And until you deal with us and stop doing stuff we don't want you to do, you're going to feel the pain. Do you like pain? Because here comes some more pain coming your way. I'm sorry, do you, you didn't feel 25%. You felt it, but it just wasn't enough to drive you back to the table. You still standing over there looking at me funny. You still 
You still think you got something over me? Okay, then how about 5% more? Doesn't sound like much, but if you're already paying a 25% tariff and the president adds 5% more, now you got companies on their knees. They're literally begging the Chinese government to further devalue their currency. But when it's worth nothing, how much further can they go from there? At some point, they're going to run out of value to remove, right? (laughs) So it says here, they called us last weekend and asked us to pay the additional 5% tariff. We could not refuse since it was our idea to bid to supply the canned fruit for the supermarkets. This is the, the business owner in China. So she says, we have no way to deal with it now. We only hope that the yuan will depreciate in the coming weeks to offset the new tariff. Otherwise, we will lose a lot of money on this order. Now, make no mistake about it. I have nothing against this Asian business owner. I'm nothing against her. It's her government that's putting her in this position because they still want to rob us blind. And Donald Trump is saying, not today, Zerg, not today. So if the wand does not further depreciate by more than 5%, she added, the company will have no choice but to cease exports to the U.S. after October 1st. Now, again, in the largest market, purchasing market in the entire world, are we going to run out of mandarin oranges? No. Do you, if you want canned mandarin oranges, they will be packaged in another country and you will still have cans to buy. Are you kidding me? We're not going to miss out on anything. If you're a mandarin orange eater, if you like mandarin oranges out of the can on your salad, as is sometimes really delicious, um, you're going to be hurt. You, don't worry about yourself. You, you're covered. You're in America. So exporters have been left blindsided after the U.S. said on Friday they would raise the tariff on $250 billion of Chinese imports from 25% to 30% on October 1st and raise the planned new tariff rate on U.S. $300 billion of goods from 10% to 15% in two tranches on September 1st and December 15th. Come on, come on with it, President Trump. Something's happening and it sounds, well, it sounds awesome for our side. It doesn't sound so awesome for these people. Sorry. Okay. So this was in response to China's move early on Friday to impose retaliatory tariffs. So between five and 10% on 75 billion worth of our stuff, including soybeans, pork, and for the first time, crude oil, knowing they can't get their crude oil at the same prices from anybody else, knowing they want that American crude oil. Anyway, China also reinstated the 25% penalty duty on imports of U.S. made cars and car parts, bringing the total tariff on the sector to 40%. So they they tried it. They tried it. And now Donald Trump is like, okay, so uh, you tried. Now I'm going to show you how it's really done. So in the case of medium and high end furniture, even with the addition of tariffs, it's still impossible to find substitute markets for our products, said Zai Jun, Zai Jun, a furniture exporter in Haining, a city in Zhejiang province where hundreds of furniture factories make goods for export to the U.S. Did you hear what he said? Hundreds of factories. So all y'all, you know, you just have to buy vintage furniture and have it reupholstered. I mean, what do they think we're going to do? We're Americans. We're going to be fine. For Chinese exporters, it's useless to be afraid because there is nowhere to hide. We can only rely on the wisdom and countermeasures of the central government, adding that as long as Beijing can maintain employment levels and prevent the housing market from collapsing, we are not afraid. Well, that doesn't sound like they're not afraid. Does that sound like not afraid to you? I thought I heard a whiff of fear in that. Sound to me like some of these people can't survive a 5% additional tariff at the current valuation rate of the yen. Uh, Yeah, so um, I think it's interesting that they would even go here. And some of it is obviously when your leadership in a communist country, the leadership is completely detached from what the citizens are experiencing. In a communist country, the leaders are independently wealthy and they're taken care of. And so no matter what the economy does, no matter if the people are starving and dying in the street, no matter if there's a, a war, they're always insulated from it. Kind of like the elites we have here in this country, like Bill Maher, who's wishing for a recession. People in America who are in the top 1%, top 5% are completely insulated from tariffs, from uh, market fluctuations, they make money when the, the market's low, they make money when the market's high. They can buy rentals and they can buy other property commercial, they can buy residential, they can take their money out of one sector and put it in another and they're always going to have access to luxury goods because they have the money to pay for them. And 
changes that are material to a family like mine and yours are going to be inconsequential to people who, if you're, if you're worth $50 million, you are not going to have the same concerns that a family of four living on the median income of 56 or 59,000 a year is going to have. Even if you're making $250,000 a year, your concerns are not identical to someone who's worth 30, 50, 130 million, you know, like a lot of these Democratic candidates, the ones who have a little bit of change to rattle around in their pocket. So that is why you see these really horrible communists in charge of China. They're, they're not willing to bow. They're not willing to admit that they need to come to the table and negotiate with President Trump. Because it doesn't impact them. It impacts their people, but not them. It's the same thing with the Democrats. The reason they don't want to come to the table on immigration is because their kids aren't being killed. They don't want to come to the table on guns because, again, kids not killed. They don't want to come to the table on uh, education and taxation that goes along with funding education because their kids are in private school protected by guns and also getting the best education that their millions can buy. Their neighborhoods are insulated from the crime that illegal aliens bring. Their neighborhoods are insulated from the crime of inner city guns, uh, you know, gang crime and all of that. They're insulated. They're not even worried about, you know, whether or not people have access to healthy, you know, foods or or gardens or fresh vegetables or what kind of, uh, you know, grocery store representation is in their neighborhood. They're not worried. They're ordering everything on Amazon. They're paying a premium and... They can have a chef come over and cook their meals five or seven nights a week. They can have their food delivered and someone at their house who works there, who's on staff, will put the food away. If they need gas, they have it pumped into their car when they're not even there. They're at their workplace or whatever they're going to do. They're at their soul cycle class and someone is driving their car around and pumping the gas and getting the tags renewed and having it vacuumed out and having it, you know, washed and whatever else needs to be done and bringing that car back over. And that's not even their only car. They may be driving their fun weekend car while their main car is being serviced. That's if they drive at all. A lot of these limousine liberals are driven around in town cars, which means when you and I pull up to the gas station in our car that we may or may not have payments on and we look at the gas pump and see the gas has gone up by 20 cents, that means something to us. 20 cents a gallon means nothing to a person who rides a town car everywhere that they go. Now, You're not hearing any jealousy or anger from me about people being rich and being able to do what they do. No, no, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh Uh-uh. I don't get upset when other people do well. I get upset when people who do well try to voice policies that hurt regular people who we're doing well. Don't get it twisted. Those of us who still care about 20 cents a gallon are doing awesome because we're Americans and we're grateful for what we have and we've worked to earn every bit of it. So thank God we have it and we're grateful for it. But when people who don't have the same concerns that we have are elected to be in charge over us and they don't care, we get policies like the ones we're living under right now that President Trump is trying to undo, that President Trump is trying to right the ship. And so that's why, you know, to rewind back to the first segment, Joe Walsh, he's getting nowhere because Americans who have budgets to balance, bills to pay, tithes to pay, and a life to live here in this great country aren't going to put up with Never Trump or Chinese Communist China or any of that stuff. Y'all can keep it. We're Righteously American. Back with you tomorrow.